Let's turn to God's Word, uh, Titus chapter 1. We'll be looking at this book throughout um, the months up to, up to Christmas. And we're going to read the first, first four verses. That's our study this morning. This is the Word of God. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior, and we thank God for this, his word to us. So let's ask God now to help us as we think about this first chapter and the first four verses of the chapter. Father, this is your word, not the creation of us nor man, your revealed word. Help us to listen, to understand and to be changed by it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The question we should be asking ourselves on, on a regular basis is this. How can we live as God's holy people in our pagan world? I mean, the UK and uh, Ireland is now in a state of spiritual and moral anarchy. How do we witness in that kind of culture? How do we resist the temptation to compromise our message, to water down our beliefs as we face a generation that increasingly rejects Bible truth? Because we can slide the same way as the world slides, in parallel with it. Maybe not as bad as the world, but we go at the same rate as the world. How do we resist that temptation? Well, God's answer to us, in part, is this book from Paul to Titus. And basically, it's about gospel-saturated ministry. We have to be, and we are expected to be, a gospel-shaped church led by gospel-shaped leaders, leading gospel-shaped members, doing gospel-shaped ministry. That's what we have to be, and that's what we're expected to be. Now, the original aim of Paul was that Titus resolved some problems in the struggling church in Crete. Every church has its problems. Even the early church had its problems. The problems were mostly connected to the influence of culture in the church. And if the church didn't deal with that, there was great danger for the health of the church. Perhaps even it might lead to the death of the church. And so we're told in verse 5, which we'll look at next week, Paul says to Titus, I, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out, straighten out, fix, straighten out what was left unfinished. Restore order, fix the problems. And it's going to be hard work for Titus. And I'm sure you realize that actually doing church properly is not easy. It's hard work. Fixing problems is 
hard work. Because people are hard work sometimes. You know, I'm hard work. Yeah? Sometimes when we are in in the worldly set of thinking, we, we can be hard to work with. So it's hard work going against the tide of culture. It's hard work fixing problems. Paul says, Titus, I want you to fix the problems in Crete. So if, if we are to be church in a difficult situation, we've got to do it together. Hence, at the beginning of our new church year, we call for that unity of purpose that we're committed to gospel ship ministry. And when we do that, you know, uh, things will change. Now, Crete um, was notoriously evil. It was a place of great violence. A lot of the mercenaries that fought in the armies of Europe and Asia Minor at that particular time came from Crete. Immorality uh, was common. In fact, chapter 1, verse 12, if you've got a Bible, notice that, where Paul quotes one of their own prophets. He said, even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Imagine being described by one of your own as liars, brutes, and gluttons. That's the challenge that Titus faced. And I don't think it's hard for us to see that we are increasingly coming close to the, the cultural context of Crete. Every conceivable sin that you could imagine is now flaunted and promoted by the media. Isn't that right? I, I don't think we have ever had a culture, at least in the last five or six hundred years, that is less concerned about sin and more concerned about material gain, about individual rights, and about ungodliness. There's nothing quite like our culture these days for these things. There are dark spiritual days, and uh, it's probably going to get worse before it'll ever get better. And the big temptation is that we allow the worldly philosophies to uh, find a home in our hearts, in our homes, and in our churches, and we've got to resist that. We've got to resist that. This was the danger in Crete, that worldly philosophies would just engulf the church. So we need this book, and we need to download the truth of this book into our heads, into our hearts, into our homes, into our church. So we need real faith based on gospel truth it must impact our lives first, then it must show up in church, and then it must be revealed to the world. Starts in our heads, fills the church, goes out into the world. Now, Titus had a, a bit of a, a reputation as a problem solver. Uh, we see his work in, in Corinth, but now Paul keeps him in Crete to solve the problems. The crisis situation needed lots of truth and lots of grace and a, a church well-led and well-loved. So what we might have here is a, a kind of summary statement of, I suppose, this first part of the, the book, maybe the whole of the book, and it's this. To witness effectively in a pagan culture, God's people must be saved by God's grace and engage in true godliness under the authority of the local church. 
To witness effectively in a pagan culture, God's people must be saved by God's grace and engage in true godliness under the authority of the local church. That's what we are hopefully going to see uh, throughout this book. So let's think, first of all, of, the, um, of who we are. Because if we're, going to, if we're going to effectively reach this culture in which God has set us, if we're going to witness effectively in a pagan world, we need to know who we are. We need to know who we are. We're talking identity here. So who are you? Who are you? Now, that's a very interesting question, and I'm sure we'll get lots of different answers. You could say, well, I am, and give your name. You could say, um, well, I am a, a teacher. I, I, I'm a police officer. I am retired. You could give your position in life, for, for example, your job. You, you could say, well, I'm a husband or a wife or a child or a parent. You could mention your interests and your hobbies. There's a lot of ways you can answer that question. Who are you? But I wonder, would you ever think about putting the three things that Paul mentions here in verse 1 as your answer? Would it be part of my answer? The three things he mentions as a servant of God, a sent one of Jesus Christ, an apostle that is, and a member of God's elect. I wonder, would they be top of your list when you're answering the question, who are you? Because they were top of Paul's list. Now, Paul could have said, well, Paul, a brilliant scholar, no one better. Paul, a gifted church planter. Paul, the most gifted evangelist that there is. He could have said, I'm the one who got the unique calling on the road to Damascus. I'm the one who's written lots and lots of books. I've achieved many things. But no, he starts off with, and I think the first one is, a servant of God. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of God. This word describes a person who gives up their total will to the will of somebody else more important. It's a humble surrendering of himself to God. That was how he saw himself. That's who he was. Someone who denied self, uh, carried his cross, was following hard after God. That's the start of isn't it? And if that's not in place, then we, we're going to have difficulty. A servant of God. And then a sent one of Jesus Christ. A sent one of Jesus Christ. Paul, and a, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Sent by the authority of another. Sent with the credentials of another. Sent, in this case, by Jesus, an apostle of Jesus Christ. See, the order is significant. Paul was sent because he was a, a servant. Paul was swallowed up in the will of God, and so God was pleased to use him. But notice the third thing, uh, a member of God's elect. A member of God's elect. Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect, chosen by God, chosen of God. Now, this doctrine of election causes some people some trouble, but I don't think it should. In fact, I know it shouldn't. Because if it's a matter of us choosing him, it would completely not really nullify grace. If we choose him, we're in control of our salvation. If we choose him, salvation is by works, our choosing him. So this is counter-gospel. The reality is, as verse 3 tells us, it is God who is Savior. Verse 4, it is Jesus who is Savior. 
The reality is, listen, folks, we are dead in our sins. We are not capable of saving ourselves or choosing anybody or anything. God is the one who saves. God raises us to life. God opens up our blind eyes. So, that's who you are today. If you're a Christian, you're a member of God's elect, just like Paul. Who are you? Because if we're going to reach this pagan world, we need to know who we are. If we're the witness in this culture, we need to know we're servants of God, sent ones of Jesus, and part of the elect people of God. Now, notice that God actually um, dominates everything that Paul is and does. Notice he's a servant of God. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ, who is God, of course. He's a member of God's elect. It's God who does not lie in verse 2. Paul preaches because of the command of God, verse 3. It is God who gives grace and peace in verse 4. See, Paul starts with God and he never gets beyond God. He, he, his foundation and, and, of his ministry, the substance of his ministry was God. God dominates. And folks, if we're going to reach this pagan society of ours, we need to be preoccupied by and entranced by God and his gospel. There's no other way to do it. If we look as if we're bored stiff out of our minds with the thought of God and the gospel, then the world will simply ignore us. We've got to be devoted to, reliant on, preoccupied with God. That's if we want to reach our Crete with the gospel. This new church year starts, in a sense, today. And I urge you, stay with God. Get going with God. Keep going with God. Gaze upon him. Feast upon him. That's our identity. And may he be continually formed and reformed in our souls so that sin loses its attraction and its appeal. Who are you? Who are you really? Totally surrendered? Submitted completely? There's no other way, folks, to reach this pagan society unless we are. I hope faith, church, hasn't just become a hobby. You know, it's the nice, decent proper thing to do of a Sunday. If that's where we've got to, we'll have no influence. Our children will be set an awful example and the future's bleak. Paul, like Titus, like you and me, need to know who we are. Who we are. Godly servant, a godly sent one, a godly chosen one. When you know that, there's fire in the belly. There's truth in our hearts. We will go and influence for Christ and his glory. Second thing is we're going to know what we believe. That's the end of verse 1 and into verse 2. Servant of God, apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Again, God's people 
need to know what they believe if they're going to effectively reach the culture that we're in. The word faith there, by the way, in verse 1, uh, refers to the body of truth that we believe. It's the doctrine that we hold to. It's the main things that we believe. It's the truths that we should be prepared to suffer for and die for, as we will be thinking about tonight, as we finish off the Beatitudes. Yes, it would include uh, how we come to, to Christ in saving faith. It does include that, but it also includes all that's involved in everyday faith, the way we live our lives. And in the knowledge of the truth, that's also a phrase there used in verse 1, is the clear perception and understanding of what God is saying and how we ought to live. So it's this idea of being saved by, by faith and, and knowledge and, and living it out. And it's not just head knowledge, okay? Notice what it's for at the end of verse 1. That leads to godliness. That leads to godliness. So ministry provided by the servants of God and the sent ones of God is for our faith and our knowledge so that we might be godly. See, faith and knowledge is supposed to change us. It's supposed to change us. So, know what you believe. Know why you believe it. And then you'll be an influencer in this fallen, broken world of ours. Belief shapes our behavior. Doctrine, by the way, is very, very deadly when it's divorced from godliness. Maybe some of you have grown up maybe in churches where there's been lots and lots and lots of doctrine and very little godliness and it's left you with a bitter taste in your mouth. Well, you can't change the past, but you can change the present and the future. Because you see, faith and knowledge of truth is to lead to godliness. Scribes and Pharisees and modern-day legalists focus on externals, but the gospel always seeks to change the heart, godliness. Calvin Miller said that we are keepers of inwardness and we tend it alone. I like that phrase. We are keepers of inwardness, our hearts, and we tend it alone. So godliness, we need it to... Um, so that we might love his truth and walk his way and be empowered by his spirit and be motivated by his love. Do you want to impact your children, your neighbors, your society? Do you want that? Then you've got you've to know what you believe. And you need to be godly from the faith and knowledge that comes to us from the scriptures. And it's based on a sure and certain hope. You'll notice there, verse 2, a faith and a knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life. Not a vague hope, by the way. It rests on the hope of eternity. You know, the one, one of the big motivating factors for us living a godly life is that we're going to be with God forever. Isn't it? That's one of the big, big um, motivating facts. So life is not just about here and now. It's about there and then. This is not the, the, the land of the living and when we die, we go to the land of the dying. This is the land of the dying and when we die, we go to the land of the living. Eternal life. This is what should motivate us in our godliness. And how do we know this is all true? Because you say, oh, come on. Is this true? 
Is there such a thing as eternal life? Well, we're told a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. See, Satan is the father of lies, but God is the father of truth. God never lies. He can't lie. He's simply, he's never tried to lie. He isn't interested in lying. He doesn't have to lie. He tells the truth. And we need to trust him. Yeah, faith again. Trust that the one who made it all will remake it all one day. We need to read his word, study it, understand it, live it, and then stand up and witness to a broken world. So know who you are. If you don't, you'll not be an influencer. Know what you believe. If you don't, you'll not be an influencer. What about a third thing? There are only four, just in case you're worried. Um, Here's the third one. Know what we must do, verse 3. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior. God's people will be effective and standing up in our pagan society when we know what we ought to do. This is our mission. And it comes really in two forms. We take the truth to sinners and see them saved. And then we take the truth to the saved and see them matured. In other words, evangelism and discipleship. And it's all bound up in this idea of proclaiming or preaching the truth. If you've been about RPC for any length of time, you notice the priority we give to the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God. Now, why, why would we do that? Well, Acts 20 says this, verse 32, the Word of His grace builds us up. That's one of the reasons why we commit to the preaching of His Word. Acts 2, 42, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There's nothing else really for us to do. There's nothing more to hear. We're not talking about religious junk food. We're talking about theological, biblical food. We need his word to be brought to light through the preaching, proclamation. Now, sometimes, of course, that involves pulpit ministry. That's why we gather on a Sunday morning and evening to uh, present pulpit ministry of the word. But that's not just pulpit ministry because that word there does mean to proclaim or to herald. All of us can do it. So in other words, you can do it in the Sunday school class. You can do it one-to-one. You can do it as you witness to your neighbor by kindly acts that are followed by solid biblical truth when that opportunity comes along. But we're all expected to share the good news of Jesus. In fact, we're commanded. You notice that there in verse 3? At his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. We've been entrusted with this calling. There's an urgency about this because time is passing and people around us are lost. Do you know one thing that struck me just recently is how quickly children grow up. Isn't that true? One minute they're little babies. Next minute they're having babies. The window of opportunity for you mums and dads and grannies and granddads to influence your children is a very small window because soon they become adults in their own right. And if we have not led them 
and the ways of the faith and, and the ways of God to godliness. Well, if we haven't taken our opportunities, then it's gone. It's gone. It's the same with our neighbors and friends. And you think, oh, I, I'll get around to sharing the gospel with my friend, my relative, my, my co-worker. I, someday, and five years, 10 years, 20 years goes by and we haven't really done it. If we're going to effectively reach this pagan society in which we live in, we must know what we must do, which is to be heralders and proclaimers and preachers of the gospel. There, there is no other way to do it. That was an intervention, wasn't it? Okay, listen, one last thing. Um, know who you are, know what you believe, know what you're to do. If you want to be an effective influencer with your family and with your neighbors and with your world, here's the last thing. Know who I'm doing it for. We need to know that. We need to know who we're doing it for. Verse four, to Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ, our Savior. If God's people are to be motivated for reaching out and witnessing to a fallen culture, we need to know who we are doing it for. And ultimately, of course, it's for God, as you'll see there on the screen. It's ultimately for God. And so I'm going to ask you today, right where you're sitting, in your heads and in your hearts, I'm going to ask you to join me in recommitting our allegiance to our God and our Father. Will you do that? Will you say, God, I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to worship you. And I want to, with my brothers and sisters and my church family, I want to recommit to you. As we said earlier, God dominates these first four verses. Dominates the whole of the book. He dominates the whole of the Bible, of course. We exist for him. And so we should commit to him. Please, commit, recommit to him today afresh. But also, we must commit or recommit to the people that God has called us to serve and to be with. You'll notice verse 4 there just oozes church family relationships because we're not called to be solo artists in the way of faith. Notice there, my true son, probably because Paul led Titus to faith. Certainly he was involved in his discipleship. Notice the, the word common faith, common to all God's people. In other words, this faith is not just your faith, it's our faith. Notice the word our there, by the way. My true son, in our common faith. But it's not just in verse four, look back at verse one. Who's Paul a servant of? God and God's elect, people within the church. That's who he's a servant of. He's an apostle of whom? Jesus Christ and God's elect, members of the body of Christ. Paul knows who his people are. I wonder, do you? Will you recommit to the body? See, by nature, we're, we're, we're rebels. Um, by nature, we, we value independence. I know that. Because I'm a rebel at heart and I'm, I, I love my independence. So I know 
and I know what you're like because you're just like me. We, we are rebels by nature. We value independence. We're suspicious of authority. And by nature, we're, we're, we're selfish. But you know what? By salvation and fullness of the Holy Spirit, we are children of God. We're brothers and sisters in the family of God. We're members of his body, the church. We receive grace and peace, as verse 4, which we don't have time to deal with it, and we share it with others. That's the difference between who we are by nature and who we are by salvation. We exist for the glory of God, and we exist for the people that he sets us among. So you're not here by accident. This is your Crete. And this is your church in your Crete. And the world around us has fallen and broken and desperate needs salvation. We have one life to live. We urge you not to waste it. I don't want you, I don't want me to get old age and say I really wasted so much time so many relationships so many opportunities so how do we not waste it well know who you really are know it and know what you really believe and know what you really are supposed to do and know what you're who you're supposed to do it for I think we've got an exciting year ahead. Yeah, it's going to be a tough winter, we're told by economists and such like. But as a church, for the first time perhaps, we're here without the, 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 um, I suppose, the shadow or the cloud of COVID hanging over us. Although again, we're promised stresses there and, and by the health service. We need to see what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. And I'm urging you to, to stand up with us and stand in the gap and play your part and let's be light in this dark world. Let's be salt in this broken world. Now, come and talk to us if you need advice or counsel or prayer or help. But if we're going to witness effectively in a pagan culture, God's people need to be saved by God's grace Engage in true godliness on the authority of the local church. Let's do it. In him and for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this powerful introduction to a powerful book. And we pray that you will impact us mightily. And so we ask God today that you'll be with us. And over tea and coffee now, we pray that we'll encourage one another in this work. We're, we're thankful for each other uh, and we can say two things today. We love you and we love each other and help us to do both better. Lead us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.